0: Peter Baines is a crisis and disaster management expert, philanthropist, and international keynote speaker on the topic of leadership. He's worked globally responding to acts of terrorism and humanitarian disaster zones and offers unique insights from his time-leading counterterrorism act- initiatives. Peter is known internationally for his humanitarian work in the building of Hands Across the Water, a charity committed to enriching the lives of children and communities they support in Thailand. He knows a thing or two about life, Leadership and courage. His new book, "Leadership Matters: Stories and Insights for Leaders, Achievers, and Visionaries," is why we're having this chat today. Here, he shares the lessons that have stayed with him through his decades of international counterterrorism, disaster response work. In particular, Baines has revealed how the devastating aftermath of the 2005 Thailand Boxing Day tsunami shaped his understanding of what it means to be a true leader and how transformative it led him to start a multi-million-dollar charity that's helped thousands of people. Bain shares his remarkable personal stories and insights about what it takes to stand up as a leader in challenging times and how to use courage, compassion and integrity to accomplish the impossible. Away from the tools, he enjoys flying helicopters and spending time with his family on their farm. And today we are discussing the politics of courage.
1: Welcome, Peter. Uh, G'day, Amber. Thanks for having me.
0: Podcasting remotely can be challenging, but it doesn't have to be. Since day one of The Politics of Everything, I have relied on Zencaster's all-in-one solution to make the process quick and painless, the way it should be for those of us who just love great content and want to get our ideas out into the world. If you know me, I'm obsessed with quality in terms of my guests, my sound, and everything about my show has to be great the first time. I'm Time Paul. It's so easy to use Zencaster. I'm not tech savvy and you don't need to be either. There's nothing to download. Just click on the link and off we go. Zencaster is all about making your podcasting experience easy. And with everything from local recording to automate post productions now in their toolkit, you don't have to leave your browser to get that episode done and done fast. I have a special offer for you and I hopefully you can experience what I have with Zencaster. Go to Zencaster.com forward slash pricing and use my VIP code, the politics of everything, all lowercase in one word, to get 30% off your first three months of Zencaster Professional. How good is that? I want you to have the same easy experiences I do for all my podcasting and content needs. It's time to share your story. Uh, just going to go back to young Peter. Do you remember what you wanted to be as a kid growing up, and what that kind of early career journey was like for you before you do what you do now?
1: Yeah, so I guess uh, uh, the first you know response that comes when you ask that question is during year ten when we had to do work experience. I worked as a as a park ranger with. National parks in New South Wales, and, and was just, you know, drawn to that and thought there was something that I'd love to do. And it spent plenty of time as a young fella in the bush, uh, camping and canyoning and caving and all of the rest. But for one reason or another, that's not where I ended up. But no, uh, I always ask people that because sometimes different.
0: it's um it's obvious and other times, yeah, obviously life takes you in a different direction and, of course, um, your bio gives everyone an idea of what, you, what you've done since then. Mm. On today's topic, leaders who have courage are those who, I guess, dare to lead by example and can often make difficult decisions and act accordingly mm. even when the outcome is not certain those that are willing to take risks tend to do new things, innovate, and are willing to fail as well. Can you define mm. your own view of courage and I guess how that interplays with this idea of leadership?
1: I think the the idea of courage for me is when we talk about leadership is it, it's making difficult decisions and, and obviously not having certainty around the outcome. And I think that working in in crisis and disaster situations, as I have across uh, many different countries, uh, the the inspiring leaders that I've worked with are those who have uh, stood up in those times of uh, significant challenge, uh, both personal and professional, and have had the courage to make difficult decisions, and knowing that you're not always going to get it right. And but I think we'll forgive those who have the courage to make difficult decisions if they've acted with good integrity and good intent and they've consulted where they can. But I think we're less forgiving of those who lack the courage to make difficult decisions for fear of getting it wrong.
0: Absolutely. And I guess what people are going to think of them. I think that often that public perception is part of that. I guess, you know, what will people say, what people think, how will this really kind of resonate with people immediately rather than sometimes thinking about the long term. That's going kind to of be my observation of leaders I've worked with, having done lots of crisis PR and media work over the years. Mm. It's interesting to see those that, that immediate decision, what, what sort of feels safe and easy immediately is often not the thing that's going to serve those leaders long term.
1: And that's that, that's a really interesting point because that's when we can look at that and say, well, whose interests are they putting first? And if it's uh, if they're, it's their own interest, well, then they uh, you know balk at making those difficult decisions because if they get it wrong, it can reflect on them badly. But if they're they're, they're truly making the decisions about the the cause or the mission that they're they're leading, then their personal interests are secondary and they'll do what's right or make the decisions they believe are right, even if they end up being wrong. It was the courage to make the decision which was most important.
0: How can the way we view courage become more broad than just of those traditional acts of gallantry or tradition notions of heroism, perhaps, that you see in a Hollywood movie or on on the evening news, you know, in our everyday life, a lot of people work in offices and other environments or just in their local community. What are ways in which, I guess, courage can kind of intersect what you do on a much more day-to-day basis?
1: Oh, I think it's, you know, courage, as you say, when we when that word comes up, it all will mean different things and it might be it might be a stereotype. but um, you know a friend of mine, Darren Hill, who um, is a does a lot of social commentary on different things. He talks about courage and inspiring people, and and I love his example. It's the the single mum who's balancing work, uh, kids, and then studies at home at night, and uh, having the courage to take that on and and face the challenges before before her each day. And yeah, I think you know, courage comes in in many different forms. And, um, you know, I've been fortunate to be in, be exposed to some people who have demonstrated true courage in difficult times. And one that sits for me is a, is a grandfather who was running with uh, one of his grandchildren in his hand from the tsunami and wall of water was behind them. And he got to the base of the tree and he dragged a little grandchild up to the top of the tree with him. And, and they made it, they were uh, safe, they were cut and bleeding and had abrasions all over them. But there was no wild celebration at the top of the tree because when he was running, he had uh, one grandchild in one hand and another in the other. And when he got to the base of the tree, he knew that if he didn't survive, none of them would. He also knew he couldn't climb the tree hanging on to both of his grandchildren. And he had a decision to make, which one would he let go of and which would he take up the tree? Now, he let go of one of these grandchildren and, and that grandchild was washed away and did die as a result of that. And, and I caught up with that grandfather for many years after the tsunami and he would always ask himself the, the same series of three questions. It was, could he have run faster? Could he have made a different decision? Or could he have been stronger? But in my view, that's the epitome of someone who has courage because he's made a difficult decision. And, you know, we'll all be faced with difficult decisions. Some will be on a personal level. Some will be on a private level. Some will lay awake for nights on end thinking, is what we're about to do the right thing? Then we'll make a decision. We'll spend another number of countless nights awake reflecting on, is what we've done the right thing? But I think making those difficult decisions, whether it's personal, private, big or small, that's the definition of leadership and that's the definition of a courageous leader.
0: Yeah, I love those examples and I think most of us can kind of imagine what that must be like. Obviously, you'll never really know unless you've walked in the shoes of that person but that idea mm. of courage is something which I think can inspire people in their everyday life even if they don't have those those same experiences, which I guess is the definition of courage in some ways as well. Mm. Explaining mm. personally how courage has shaped your career and business success story today, is there one or two personal examples of how when times have been tough and it could even be something very you know rudimentary like you know dealing with difficult teens I've got those at the moment or you know something else <laughs> where you've just kind of had to dig in and find new courage that you didn't think that you had.
1: I think it's you know, what comes up for me when you when you ask that is less about courageous acts of mine and it's more about uh, the the decisions to say yes and um, you know starting charity as I did in 2005 it was, I was probably at the lowest point of my life when I started the charity. I just uh, returned from my final tour of Thailand. I was physically, emotionally, mentally exhausted. And for different reasons, uh, uh, I was at, you know, personally the lowest state of my life. And that was when I said yes and started the charity. And there'll be lots of people when we put, you know, big audacious goals on the table will sit around and tell you why it won't work, what's wrong with it, why it's someone else's responsibility. But I think continuing to say yes and continuing to do what you believe is right is can be a sign of courage. And at different times through the journey of hands from the start to taking on different projects, there's been people along the way who have said we shouldn't do this or shouldn't take on a new venture. And And we look back five, ten years later, and the difference that we've made. And it was the absolutely, it was the right thing to do. It. And um, you know, on reflection of those decisions of starting hands and then taking on different projects, you know, I'm glad we did. Of
0: course, hindsight's great when it all works out. I guess Mm, you know, you never know at the time, though, do you? I could have, we could be be telling a very different story. And um, Mm. particularly if you've got personal challenges, sometimes you might not have enough in the tank to find that courage to do what you mm. think you should be doing at the time. So I think that's always mm. the hard thing. It almost feels easier sometimes to do big courageous things when everything's going really well in your life. You feel like you've got yeah. luck on your side.
1: Well, and that's the thing. If we wait until the time is right, well, that time might never come. You know, one of the things that, you know, I speak at a lot of conferences and we're speaking to a, a group on the Gold Coast yesterday and, you know, I challenge them to, to take time to feed their soul. And the question I always ask is, when was the last time that they did something for themselves, uh, not for their husband, not for their wife, not for their kids, not for their partner, but for, for them? And, uh, and I think it's one of the things that, that really came out of that time through the pandemic is this question of doing something that we find is meaningful, uh, something that is for your heart and your soul and i think it's, it's something that we we need to do is invest that time in ourselves.
0: Yeah, absolutely and i think that's some um, that's really good advice for everyone no matter where they are in their in their career or their journey of life. Look, the mm. world may not need another leadership book. I don't know. You've written one. I i've read it. It's great, but some may argue, you know, there's a lot of leadership mantras out there. There's a lot of ideology. We seem to have had a plethora of them since the pandemic, of course, when we're sort of, you know, I guess, recalibrating from that experience. What compelled you to write Leadership Matters at this particular point in time?
1: Yeah, really good question, Amber. And it's something that, you know, I really considered before writing the book. It's it's my third book and it was something that you know it was probably about this time last year where coming out of uh, the pandemic and returning to speaking at conferences and and what I saw was the stories that I was sharing there was just this you know real physical reaction of connection to the stories and what I found interesting was many of the stories I'd shared pre-pandemic and I just felt that there was a a real shift. And I felt like that some of the observations and learnings that I'd had over the decade uh, since the previous book were of of value, a value to me. And and I was seeing and hearing from the audiences I was sharing them with there was value. And 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 I guess the you know the book is, you know, no better, no worse than many of the others that are out there. But the difference is they they're my observations of working with you know, these leaders, achievers and visionaries who in my life have created and uh, faced incredible challenges and triumphed. And I just share the stories of those and I pull out the observations that I've made of them, how they've confronted it and how that it can be applicable to to us in our life. It doesn't have to be facing huge challenges, doesn't have to be leading big teams, Or, um, but I, I, I felt that there was value for, for all of us in doing something sometimes for ourselves sometimes for others sometimes it's just the encouragement to start is is what we need
0: yeah absolutely and I guess the big question is like how did you decide who's going to go in and who's not going to go in the book because I imagine across you know the past you know decades that you've been working in this space you would have had countless stories and just been curating mm-hmm. who's going to go in there was there kind of a a, a way in which you decided, or a sort of way you triage some of those individuals and stories.
1: Oh, I think, and it's it's something that I really enjoyed about writing this last book, which was just it came together quite quickly from a writing perspective, and and it just flowed. I, I found the writing process really easy, and I think it was because the the stories that mattered most were very real to me. And it wasn't as though I had to do research to understand or do interviews or so forth. These were lived experiences with people over that last uh, 10 or 15 years that I'd been working with them. And, and you, you know, I think it's, uh, for me, writing a book or creating that storytelling is starting with a whole lot of uh, key points and then, as you say, there is that triage. There is the stories that don't make it because there is you know a limited amount of uh, words that you can put on a page, and and I hope that you know those that were included you know offer real insight or or value to the reader.
0: Absolutely. Do you have a favorite? Is it like oh, trying to choose I... favorite children? It's not it's not the kosher thing to do.
1: <laughs> no, I think yeah, I think for me is it's it's really hard to go past one of the stories that I tell about uh, uh, a lady by the name of Mathilde who is a a Buddhist monk who I met in um, 2010. And she'd been running a home for kids for 24 years. And um, a lot of the kids that she was supporting uh, had HIV or or um, uh, come from families with HIV or lost parents or so forth. And so high, high dependent uh, children. And because of her location, where she was in Thailand, it was in a remote area, which was affordable for her to purchase the land. But it also provided her with the security and privacy that she sought. But I know from running a charity that if people can't see you, well, it's hard for them to support. Mm, and that's uh, true. The price, actually. the price that she paid was that not enough people knew about uh, what she was doing and which meant that she didn't have the funding that she needed for the kids. And many of them, the challenge that she faced was to who would receive the life-saving medicine and who would go without because she just didn't have enough to meet the medical needs of all of the kids, and as a result, kids were dying. And uh, I mean, that's just uh,
0: brutal. Uh, I mean, I, it's yeah, it's just unbelievable yeah. that someone have to make that choice.
1: Well, and, and, and the thing about it, Amber, is it was it wasn't something that it was just a rough six months or or, or year or so. This was twenty four years, and you know, you know, she shared with me that she's buried a thousand and twenty seven children. Mm. And and HIV is not a medical problem anymore. No, it's just it's just one of poverty. Exactly. And um, you know, fortunately, when we got involved and I met her and formed that relationship, we were able to meet the needs, and something remarkable happened, and that was the kids stopped dying. But the reflection, and you ask about favourite story, and and this was one of the things that in writing the book it, it, it caused me to pause and think about the broader story and the the you know the learning out of it and you know for me to think about her journey and the biggest challenge that I, I think she faced is you know how do you wake up and continue in the face of such loss over such a long period of time
0: I was going to say when the odds stacked against you you would struggle to find you know I guess the will to keep doing what you're
1: doing and, as I said, it wasn't six months, it wasn't even five years. you know it was you know when she loses ten kids or a hundred kids or five hundred kids, you know how do you how do you keep going and you know and in the book, I look at what I think the the reasons are that were behind it and I think the you know the biggest thing that I came up with was that she wouldn't let yesterday define her tomorrow, and for me, if it's you know writing the book was for others, but I took a lot out of it myself and and, you know, the power of, you know, not letting the challenges or problems that you faced yesterday uh, define your today or tomorrow, because, you know, that burden can be crippling. And clearly for her, her hopes were greater than a fears, And uh, she found that strength to continue. And, and it's one of my favourite reflections in the book was the time I spent reflecting on my time with her. Yeah,
0: absolutely. So what are some of the common traits that you've observed or experienced that courageous leaders display, no matter where they come from in the world, and I guess, where their kind of social standing is, or, you know, their income level or whatever it might be?
1: Yeah, I think the, the most important thing is the presence in leaders. And, uh, you know, I, I, I really appreciated this in Thailand. And, you know, I think if I can take a step back, like in I spent my career in the forensic police and we would we would prepare we would do simulation training scenario training and so forth and and we would prepare for because the work I did we didn't measure the the scale of our involvement in injuries in property damage or economic loss it was in the number of fatalities and we would prepare and train for you know situations with multiple fatalities but you know Sitting in the departure lounge of Denpasar Airport after working in the bombings in Bali where there were 202 people who died, I have this very clear memory of sitting next to a colleague from Victoria Police. And I said to Greg, so this is the biggest job we'll ever be involved in, in our careers. And we both agreed. Yet two years later, uh, that was dwarfed in the size of the numbers. And you know, we went from 202 in Bali to turning up to a temple, a place called Wat Yan Yao in Thailand, where there were three and a half thousand decomposing bodies in one temple. We would end up recovering five thousand three hundred ninety-five bodies that would require a forensic examination and procedure to help identify them. And and when something that you've trained for is so beyond uh, the, the the extremes or the limitations that's when it's about true leadership because it's that's what you you know there's not a policy there's not a procedure there's not a manual Mm. that's been written that takes you through that and and I reflect upon the work of the Australians there I reflect upon uh, time I spent in the Awati prefecture of Japan after the 2011 tsunami to hit there with a man by the name of Mr Sato son I look at the the work of our Premier in New South Wales during the 2019 bushfires and, you know, she led New South Wales because of her presence. And I think the the, the strength of being present as a leader demonstrates to your team or community or, you know, those that you're leading that you care and you understand. And we reflect upon our, our, our former Prime Minister and how he acted during those fires when he took his family off to Hawaii. And I think, uh, you know, two completely contrasting uh, styles of leadership and demonstrations of leadership. And uh, and I'd suggest to you that Morrison was was unelectable after his performance during those fires. And so I think, you know, leadership doesn't have to be complex. It's about caring about your people. It's about being present. And it's about asking that most important question of how can I help?
0: Yeah and I think it's interesting because sometimes if you have a title like prime minister premier mm. it can feel like well it's a given that you're a leader but I think what mm. you're saying is it's about you know how you act when times oh, are tough absolutely. and how you show yeah, up Absolutely
1: yeah, I think true leaders are identified by their actions and reactions. It's not the position that they hold. It's what people do that defines them. And and that was very clear for us in Thailand, where we had 450 forensic staff who came from 36 different countries. Now, clearly, there was no org chart that said this is the country that will be in charge. And well, the interesting thing was the Thai police in the country in which we're operating were hugely consumed with local uh, what we would call community policing issues of responding to the the crisis, yet we were there for a humanitarian response to identify the five and a half thousand bodies. Now, at the time, the Thais didn't have the technical competence in the uh, identification work. It was not something they were they were skilled at. So we had 36 different countries, 450 staff. So the positions that you held in your own jurisdiction were completely irrelevant, but it was what people did it was their actions and reactions which defined leaders as opposed to any title.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So what's the best piece of advice, and it could be life advice, work advice, whatever it might be, that you've ever been given and why?
1: Mm, you know, I think the the best advice is is not to let others define what you're capable of, not to set the limitations for yourself. And, and you know, I see this while I lead these bike rides in Thailand uh, and I've been doing so since 2009. I've led 35 of them. And, and the greatest joy I have on these bike rides uh, of the last uh, last number of years is watching first-time riders discover uh, the, the depth of their abilities, their determination, their courage, their fortitude, and where they really exceed the limitations that they believe they had mm. or that others have imposed upon them. And I think rather than – because some people will tell you what you can and can't do, what you're capable of. They'll say you're too big, you're too small, you're too old, you're too young, you haven't got the right degree. And sometimes it's they just want to hold you back because you're about to do something which uh, they – would like to do or can't imagine themselves doing. And I think that we oh, don't should, have the courage
0: you know, to do, which is, of course, the yeah. theme of this show. So I think yeah, you're yeah, right. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, no, yeah. I think we should set our own limitations and, and test them. And, and I believe that some of our greatest victories are at the end of where we think our limitations have been, but we continue. And, you know, Chadwick Boswick said, you know, you know we face challenges not because we're doing something wrong, but because we're doing something right.
0: Mm, that's true. Absolutely. And I think that's some good advice for everyone. If we spoke again in a year, Peter, what would be your number one goal to have achieved? And explain why that goal is so important.
1: Well, I've got a bit of a, a bit of a goal I'm working with. And if I can stretch that out to 18 months, if that's where I am. I
0: never really circle back with my guests to see if they do it, but I do watch and see what they're doing online. So yeah, we can check in with you.
1: All right, so in 18 months' time or, or a bit under now, is um, it'll be 20 years uh, since the tsunami. And
0: oh, wow, that's the, incredible.
1: Yeah, it is, isn't it? The 26th of December next year. Yeah. And uh, so uh, for a while I thought about what I wanted to do to, to mark that occurrence and uh, how could I do something that was in some way uh, significant uh, and reflected a both a personal and professional journey, which is good for me and good for hands. So my commitment, and the more I talk about it publicly, the more real it becomes. But I'm going to, I'm going to do a run. And uh, uh, in the last uh, five or six years, I've taken up ultra marathons and and uh most people uh, do that
0: like earlier in their life just just a heads up but of course you won't you won't you won't be defined by (laughs) by any dodgy knees or anything else for the sounds of it
1: well maybe because it's taken me so long my knees are are still there But (laughs) um, so next year um, on the 1st of December I'm going to leave um Ban Home Hub which is in Yosotan our HIV home and then run to um Ban Tham Nam Chai which is the the tsunami project and where I first started and and the site of the tsunami, and it's a thirteen hundred uh, kilometer run that I'll do over twenty six days, and so I'll need to run a minimum of fifty point seven k's a day, twenty six days. So if if we can check back in, yeah. Um, on well, the I'm 20- sure there'll be something on, on
0: online about that. So um, yeah, I'll be yeah, watching well, and listening for that, that milestone. To wrap up this conversation today, what would be your final takeaway message for everyone listening on the politics of courage?
1: invest in yourself and you know create the space to to feed your soul and because if not now then when and if not you then who and if we wait until the time is right to do the things that we want to do well that time might never come
0: absolutely sage advice for everyone if we do want to connect with you further of course there'll be details on the show notes it's been a pleasure to have you on the politics of everything thank you peter
1: my pleasure thanks amber
0: thanks so much for listening today. If you've enjoyed the politics of everything, I thrive on your feedback. So please add a short review and share the podcast with your network through Apple, Spotify, and all the usual suspects. I'm always on the hunt for new and diverse guests. So if you or someone you know has a fresh idea you're busting to get out there, please email me at amber at amberdanes.com and my crew will get back to you very soon.